Welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. This is John Murphy, and it's my pleasure to welcome our guest for this podcast. This is Dr. Michael Skeckley. He is a professor in the Department of Ophthalmology at the University of Pittsburgh, affiliated with the Fox Center for Vision Restoration and also the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine. Welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. Thank you very much, John. It's a pleasure to be here. So your interests are in regenerative medicine as it relates to vision in the eye. Perhaps you just take a moment and give a brief overview of your interest in the direction of your research. We're developing unique combinatorial approaches to treating optic nerve regeneration. Over the last several decades, we've been able to identify many of the factors that prevent retinal ganglion cells, which are a CNS neuronal population, and why they fail to regenerate after injury. And specifically, I focus on the optic nerve. And though we've been able to identify the factors that prevent regeneration and also promote degeneration of retinal ganglion cells, we haven't been able to come up with a unique approach that promotes, let's say, pro-repair in the optic nerve. And so we're coming at it from two directions. The first is to look at mitochondrial function, and the second is to treat the optic nerve as a tissue as a whole by using extracellular matrix or regenerative medicine approaches to promote pro-repair of the optic nerve. We should point out to our listening audience that this is a research study, and at this point, these therapies aren't available for clinical use or even clinical trial. But with that having said, perhaps you can elaborate a little bit on these two approaches that you're considering. Which one is more mature than the other? I would say that the use of extracellular matrix technology is the more mature approach. Uh, Extracellular matrix is the unique substance secreted by cells in each tissue or organ, and this substance has been used here at the McGowan Institute by several investigators, namely Stephen Badalak, and is being used in dozens of FDA-approved products to help promote regeneration in numerous organs and tissues throughout the body, including heart, lung, skin, and bone. However, it hasn't been applied really at all to the central nervous system. So one of the main focuses of my laboratory is to adopt this technology to promote pro-repair responses in the central nervous system. So I think this is the closest to clinical translation. The second area of focus is on mitochondrial function or preventing dysfunction. These approaches use more molecular and genetic techniques that are not as easily translatable clinically And so we're attempting to use novel nanoparticle-based platforms that are based on FDA-approved products to introduce, let's say, molecules into mitochondria to modulate their function so that they promote regeneration and prevent degeneration. So if I understand what you just shared, the nanoparticles are the delivery mechanism to get these to the target tissue, is that right? That's correct. Specifically, we want to target the mitochondria. One of the novel things that we found in the last couple of years is that mitochondrial function differs whether an axon is regenerating or degenerating. For example, during development in the embryo, axons are able to regenerate just fine if you injure them. And we know that prior to birth, the animal is primarily relying on glycolysis, which is a mitochondrial-independent energy state. 
after birth, neurons rely on pro-oxygen respiratory approach for producing energy through the mitochondria and through oxidative phosphorylation. And we found that there's a big difference between axons that can regenerate and axons that cannot regenerate based on whether they are using primarily glycolysis or oxidative phosphorylation. So one of our approaches is to modulate the level of oxidative phosphorylation in mature neurons in order to promote regeneration. Now, this is a very unique approach, but it does have foundations in cancer research. During cancer metastasis, it's required for the cell to change from an oxidative phosphorylation state, i.e. mitochondrial-based energy, to glycolysis for that cell to get up and move. And we think a similar approach is required also for an axon to regenerate. So if I can go back to the tissue engineering approach for a moment. We were talking previously about the delivery mechanism. How would you envision delivering ECM or extracellular matrix to the optic nerve? Currently, preliminary studies are being done with just injecting ECM around the optic nerve into the perioptic nerve space as a hydrogel. A hydrogel is a substance that at room temperature is a liquid, but at 37 degrees or body temperature forms a gel. These are being used in initial studies and have shown some promising results. However, we feel that clinically that we're going to need to apply ECM or either in a concentrated form of ECM directly to injury sites at the optic nerve. So we've already developed a nano-injection technique for injecting either nanoparticles or ECM directly into the optic nerve or subdurally underneath the sheath that surrounds the optic nerve. And we think by combining nanotechnology and as well as micro or nanoinjection that we'll be able to deliver it focally. That's very interesting. So you shared the direction of your studies relative to the optic nerve, but if we step back for a moment, but what's the prevalence of these types of problems, either domestically or around the world? Uh, that's a great question. It's estimated that approximately 300 million people worldwide suffer from some sort of vision problem, not all of them optic nerve related. One of the problems with treating optic nerve injuries is that they're extremely varied. They can come from disease, they can come from car accidents, they can come from a kid falling out of a tree, they can come from bomb fragments during conflicts. And so we're trying to develop approaches that are comprehensive that will hopefully be able to apply to treat various injuries to the optic nerve instead of trying to treat each one individually. Would I be correct in presuming that the strategies for treating the optic nerve affected by disease might be different than from traumatic injury? Absolutely. Most of the disease-related injuries are genetically based, and that is something that would have to be taken into consideration. Diseases such as glaucoma or dominant optic neuropathies, Leber's hereditary optic neuropathy, etc. And there are ongoing studies to introduce genes or use genetic therapies. Nevertheless, if we're able to stop those disease progressions, we still need to have strategies for repairing the diseased or damaged optic nerve. And generally, when retinal ganglion cells, the output neuron from the retina to the brain, are damaged or diseased, they tend to degenerate. In fact, the axons will actually fragment within the optic nerve and then this leads to a number of problems, including mitochondrial dysfunction and eventually the death of the retinal ganglion cell. 
in my lab, we want to prevent that degeneration and cell death from happening because we currently have no way to replace lost retinal ganglion cells. So as with therapy for other parts of the body, the sooner you can address the insult, or perhaps the easier it is to have a satisfactory outcome. Absolutely, and that's one of the reasons we really like this extracellular matrix regenerative medicine approach because we can do it in a relatively non-invasive manner, almost as a precautionary manner. If a kid falls out of a tree and hits his head, it's often very difficult to tell whether the shear forces generated by the shock of hitting the ground have actually damaged the optic nerve or not. And it often happens that over weeks to months to sometimes years that people lose their vision. So if we had an approach that we could apply as kind of a preventative approach very early on, we may be able to actually help some of these people and prevent these degenerations. So how big is the optic nerve? The optic nerve in the human is about, depending on where you look along the optic nerve as it exits the globe, I think is about a half inch. I'm not a clinician. I should point that out. So that's a pretty small target to be working on. It's actually relatively easy for a surgeon to work on. They can actually make windows or entranceways through the sheath to deliver drugs. There are actually collaborators of mine that have developed a so-called teabag approach where they can put anti-inflammatory molecules inside of a pouch and tuck it right inside the optic nerve sheath and then sew it back up. Much easier to work in a human than in rat and mouse models, which we focus on. I'm sure that is the case based on the scale of the subject in the two respective cases. So in terms of the approaches that you're pursuing, are these at the tissue level or the neuronal level? Our approaches are both at the neuronal level and at the tissue level, and we believe that in some cases we need to make sure that we promote a pro-growth response or a pro-repair response both within the retinal ganglion cell and within the optic nerve at the tissue level as a whole. We think this approach has been lacking in the central nervous system. We know that it's worked in other tissues of the body, but it hasn't been generally applied to the optic nerve. And we think if we create the right and the correct environment within the optic nerve that we can promote a pro-growth environment for retinal ganglion cell regeneration. However, at the same time, we also have to address when retinal ganglion cell axon is damaged, a number of factors happen and a lot of those converge in mitochondrial function, and so we also want to target mitochondrial function as well. So in that case, we're also looking at targeting the cells themselves. So is this combinatorial approach unique, or are there other investigators pursuing this as well? The combinatorial approach in itself is not unique. We know there are a number of factors that lead to retinal ganglion cell degeneration, However, the combinatorial approach is all focused specifically on the retinal ganglion cell. The uniqueness of our approach is that we're focusing on the optic nerve at the tissue level to prevent some of the things that we know lead to retinal ganglion cell degeneration and preventing regeneration. So we started this discussion, you mentioned the central nervous system in what I'd consider a broad sense. Our discussion since then has been on vision Is the work that you're doing applicable to CNS in general? Yes, it is, though we specifically focus on the optic nerve. We hope and we believe that the techniques that we're using are broadly applicable to the central nervous system as a whole. We do have collaborators here at the McGowan Institute that are working on the brain and stroke models. I think they're seeing some encouraging results. There are also collaborators that are working on spinal cord injury using similar ECM combinatorial approaches. I'm sure there are listeners to this discussion who 
would find interest in this from their own needs or needs of their loved ones. I presume in terms of this fundamental research that you're conducting, that we're talking multiple years before this is the potential to be clinically available even for trials. Is that a correct presumption? I think it's a conservative and realistic presumption. However, I tend to come from the opportunistic side of things, that since we're using primarily FDA-approved products with ECM and also our nanoparticles are also based on PLGA, which is a widely used product clinically, that our hope is that some of these therapeutic strategies could be brought to the clinic in a relatively short amount of time. What that time frame is, I can't obviously predict that. That's very promising. I'm personally very excited about the work that I've had the opportunity to do here at the McGowan Institute. I think it's one of the premier places to conduct regenerative medicine, as well as to interact with both engineers and clinicians to bring the people together to solve problems that have been previously unsolvable. And I think that's something that's very important. Well, we congratulate you on your work and the best wishes for continued success as these technologies mature. I'd like to thank our listeners for joining us today. Thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine that sponsors this podcast series. Remind our listeners you can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. And until we meet again, thank you for listening.